0: How do you talk to your children about recovery, and what have they asked you? Welcome to episode 243 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Judy, Susan, and Mary. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Judy, Susan, and Mary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery.
1: Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life.
0: My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Megan. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. Megan, you picked a reading here from uh, a pamphlet, How Can I Help My Children? And you know, I'm actually not familiar with that pamphlet. It sounds like it's something that would have been helpful to me earlier on.
1: This is under the subject explaining the disease. It's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that the children don't know what is going on. But if we are really honest, we will see that the children do know something is terribly wrong. Children have an amazing capacity for dealing with the truth. Shrouding the illness in mystery and lies is far more frightening than a down-to-earth talk about the disease of alcoholism. And that comes from the Al-Anon Family Group pamphlet, How Can I Help My Children?
0: Thank you. Since you're new to the show, maybe we could start with you just briefly telling us your story.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Thank you. I did not grow up in a house with um, alcoholic drinking I'm the oldest of three. And I found out later the reason my parents didn't drink was because their parents did. I think my parents faced a lot of violence in their homes. uh, And so I grew up very willful, (laughs) the oldest, feeling in charge of everything. There's a story my mom likes to tell, I'll try to keep this short, but she said when I was three that I didn't get my way and I held my breath until I passed out. And so she, yeah, so she was terrified. She was horrified, you know, her baby and she had a newborn and oh my goodness, is there brain damage? And my dad was a Vietnam vet and he thought they were worried about me. So they took me to the doctor and the doctor said, okay, well, some kids can be very willful and I've only ever seen it happen three times, but they'll start breathing again. According to my mother, I did this seven times. So (laughs) I did not change much until I got into a program. I mean, I just, that's how I i lived. You know, I, I, if I didn't get my way, I'd hold my breath. I was very sure that people should do things the way that I wanted them to do. And this was in my immediate family, but to the outside world, I really, it was really important for me to look good, to be good and to make sure uh, everybody liked me. And it was never enough. I met my husband And I'm not an alcoholic, but it's not for lack of trying. I I did like we would go out, we would drink, we would have fun. Basically, I was trying to, I think, escape my life at that time. I was in my late 20s and I thought, well, I really like this guy. And he seemed like the most normal man I had dated up until that point. So we got married and we moved to back to his hometown. That's when things sort of turned and I started noticing more of the drinking and his family, they love to drink. And initially I thought that was fun, but it's, it wasn't that fun after a while. When I became pregnant, I realized, oh boy, there's something going on here. He would be putting the crib together drunk. And I would, you know, I would cry and say, you can't do this. (laughs) You can't do this. There's a baby coming here. You know, This is insane. And he would say, of course not. I would never, you know, whatever. As the disease ramped up, and i saw myself getting crazier and crazier he quit his job and we ended up moving into his parents house and his parents are you know i've heard someone say you shake enough family trees and bottles fall out you know so we all kind of came from this the same disease and the parents would drink and they had a lot of money and there was controlling and i was getting angry and we were fighting my son was 18 months when we moved into the parents house and um So it kept getting worse and worse, and I would lock myself in the room Googling, you know, drunk again. How can I get my husband to stop drinking? And why won't he stop drinking? And and Al-Anon kept popping up. So Hmm. eventually I got enough courage to attend my first meeting, and it was a meeting that had a babysitter. And any group that has a babysitter, thank you, because I don't know what I wouldn't have a story if there wasn't a babysitting meeting around me. So I went to the meetings. I was really, really afraid. What would everyone think? You know, <laughs> you know, I thought that like the New York Times is going to be there or something, but they weren't. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, I tried with my husband and we saw a marriage therapist and he said, you know, I don't actually drink that much, but she has an anger problem. And I said, yes, I do have an anger problem. (laughs) I am very angry. And so I ended up getting pregnant. I called my marriage therapy baby. But things were not getting better at home. You know, it was really scary for me. You know, all of my character defects, once that real hardcore active alcoholism hit, it was like someone threw gasoline on it and lit a match. You know, I was Mm. always angry. Everything was negative. It was hopeless. It was, I was trying so hard to control everything. And when I found out my daughter was a girl, there's something changed inside of me. And I, I went to more meetings, and I asked to get a sponsor. And eventually, I ended up. Actually, three years ago tomorrow, I ended up. I actually, got kicked out of the house, but left that family and moved to the New England area where I'm from, and just hit hit the road, the ground running with meetings and uh, another sponsor, and attending as many meetings as I could, and recovering. And I had this. Great idea, though, that if my husband got away from his family, then he would stop drinking and, you know, I would get what I wanted to feel good. So I asked him to come and help with the kids. He was still in a different part of the country. I asked him to come and help with the kids. And what I was really trying to do was to control and manipulate the situation. And he came out and uh, surprise, surprise, he still was drinking. You know, when I first left, he did end up he 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 went to a detox program, which didn't last long and when he came out to help with the kids he was still drinking, it just got worse and worse uh, at one point, my sponsor said, "You know megan, um, your safety and your children's safety really is your responsibility. you know it was getting that bad, and I was yelling all the time at him. What happened was my husband came after I had he was supposed to go home. He'd been here for a few months. He was supposed to go back to where he lived and he didn't. He came back drunk. He broke into the house. The children saw it. They had seen a horrible fight between us and it was really scary for them. So the next day he did the same thing. He broke back into the house. And so what I had to do was get a restraining order, which was not fun. And once. That happened. I sort of broke the alcoholic family rules. You know, I told, I felt, and um, all the money was gone. All, all Everything I feared that would happen, happened. Right before the restraining order hearing, I was at work, and I, I was so upset and, and not calm and so freaked out that I ended up getting injured at work and hitting my head. Like I got a brain injury. And so I was off. The last year, recovering from all of that with two little kids. But I went to as many meetings as I possibly could. I've been as close to the program as I, I can be, and um, and I'm really grateful for all of it. It's been, a, it's been tricky. Present day, I can say, after the restraining order, my husband did go into a 98-day program. As far as I know, when he is with the children, he is sober. I was able to get breathalyzers introduced. I've just been learning how to take care of myself during all of this and how to take care of the kids, too. Boy, it's been a crazy road. But so what I can say is we're still getting divorced. It's it's a very difficult process and it's taking a long time. But I'm really close to the program and they I'm very grateful to it, too.
0: So how old are your children now?
1: So my son or my oldest I'm sorry, my oldest is six and my youngest is three.
0: When things kinda really blew up, your daughter was still a baby?
1: She was probably okay, so my so the oldest was four and my youngest was two. They're two and a half years apart. When I moved from Ohio, uh my daughter was nine months and my son was three. So, you know, what I was told by a lawyer before I left was because I wanted to be near my family to have support, so I was told to move um get the children into preschool or you know find housing, find a job that can't transfer, and also to not rock the boat really, which is hard for me <laughs> but so, and just to for a year and a judge won't will never force me to go back and and one of the threats that my 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 husband would like to make was you know. Do what I say, or else I, I can force you to come back to you know to this area, and you'll have to live here for the rest of your life. Which was a huge fear of mine.
0: Have your kids like asked you questions about what's going on? Do they wonder about things?
1: Yeah, they do. They ask questions. Um, generally, they're more concerned about what's immediately in front of them. But one of the big reasons for me to to even get help was because I wanted. I didn't want my children I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home like I didn't know this kind of chaos. I knew other kinds of chaos, but I didn't want them to live like this and so my desire was that they don't they don't grow up in an alcoholic home. I love statistics and I love information, and so I had heard that you know at two and a half your your permanent memories begin, which <laughs> may or may not be true, but I got that stuck in my head and so When we moved back to the New England area, I immediately got into counseling and I immediately signed up. I knew that my three-year-old had seen enough that he would probably need a child psychologist. And also just knowing how affected I was and how angry I can get and how afraid I can be, I knew probably a child psychologist would be a good idea for for my son. And, And my daughter was only a baby at the time. Right. So before I left Ohio, I did ask their pediatrician. I said, you know, this is what's going on in our house. And it was one of the first places outside of al that I had explained to anybody what was going on. And she was very compassionate. And she just said, you know, it's a thing that a lot of families go through and just try to be age appropriately honest with them as much as you can be. So I said, okay, give me an example. Yeah. And she's <laughs> you know, like, I don't know about honesty and my age appropriateness, I don't know. I don't know either. So she said, well, you know, you can let them know that daddy's sick and we love him. And, and that's okay. Okay. It was very diligent. And, you know, the truth is my son would ask me a lot. What's wrong with daddy? Yeah. He was, you know, what's wrong with daddy? And, 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 uh, and a lot of times I would be crying. And, and, and my three-year-old was trying to comfort me. What's wrong with daddy? And it's just a heartbreaking situation for any parent. So we're back in New England, you know, a couple months back and, and I have the, we're driving in the car and their dad's on the phone and it's like the speakers in the phone, you know, and my son out of nowhere says, daddy, are you feeling better? (laughs) And I, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of, surprised. And, and he said, what do you mean, son? Am I feeling better? And he said, mommy said that you were sick. And he's like, I'm not sick. She said, yeah, you're sick. And, and, and that, you know, he repeated it some way and my husband didn't take it well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, this is all on the speaker in the car. And he said, well, your mommy's the one who's sick, you know, you know, and it just it turned into something that, that I wasn't happy about, and, and you know, just doing more damage. But then when he got a little older, when the the counselor, at one point my husband came to talk to our son's counselor with me, and the counselor was really helpful with this. And she was pretty direct, and she was age-appropriately honest, and she just said, well, sometimes grown-ups drink alcohol. And alcohol can come in many different names. Sometimes it comes in the name of wine or vodka, and she was naming it. And it actually made my husband very uncomfortable. And she said, and it's nobody's, you know, she explained sort of how people can act when they're on alcohol. And she really drove home the point that it's never a child's fault when mommies and daddies drink and and it's never their fault that they have the allergy. And um, she called it an allergy. And then I agree with that, you know, that way of describing it because it's something that my son could relate to. You know, he ended up developing a nut allergy right before he turned five. Mm. And so it was a good way for us to talk about it. It was something that he could actually relate to. And it felt, you know, it just felt easier. You know, know, I, I find myself wanting to explain everything when really it's keep it simple. You know, it's just this is what it is. And it's not your fault. And I love you.
0: Do you know how your son took that?
1: Yeah, he you know another thing that the this the the therapist said to us was always encourage the conversation. You don't have to bring it up, but anytime they bring it up even if it's painful, even if it's at the wrong time with the wrong you know, right. always encourage it. It's so important for them to be heard and for you to be listening because Then the reading from the pamphlet, you know, kids, and I know for myself, I can make up a story without the facts. (laughs) But once I get the facts, it's like, I, I, not as a kid, this was was a lot easier, but, you know, then I could work with that. But when I don't know what I'm working with, or when I didn't know what I was working with, the story was really, it was out of proportion. So he took it well, and he would ask questions, and then he would say, can I watch my, cartoon you know it was it wasn't ever long and it wasn't like it wasn't ever really serious you know it was yeah. just about you know it was just a kid he's a kid
0: yeah and i hear in that the advice that and i think we often hear when kids ask difficult questions is mm. to not over explain
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes they don't want the whole encyclopedia <laughs> they just want a little piece that they can take away with them the question that I remember my daughter in particular asking why does mama act that way mm. and that question I have to say that question persisted into sobriety why does she mm. act that way well because that's who she is <laughs> you know, I don't, I mean, <laughs> when you can't blame it on the drinking then it's like a little harder but
1: mm.
0: my kids didn't talk about it much mm. you know they were there for it yeah um, but they they weren't asking questions and maybe that's because i think by the time well i don't know you know but i was gonna say by the time that they might have been asking questions their their mother was being pretty open with them about because she'd been dealing with it as alcoholism for a number of years before i was ready to say that's what it is mm. before I came to Al-Anon. Yeah, they just didn't. And me, I'm like, okay, uncomfortable here. Not going to say anything. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. What you
0: said about meetings with babysitting. So my kids were 11 when I came into al I have twins. Mm-hmm. The first meeting that I went to was one with childcare. I don't remember if I, Took them to the first meeting, I think. No, she wasn't home because she was in rehab at that point. So obviously she wasn't home. Might have asked a sitter to stay late or maybe I took them with me. I don't remember her, but mm-hmm. I do remember like, oh, there's childcare. This is good because I can bring them. I, I wasn't quite ready to leave t- a pair of 11 year olds home alone, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And even when they got older and, and left them home alone, occasionally some not so good things happened, you know, because kids just they get these ideas and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, you know, try it. Oh, geez. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So meetings with babysitting were helpful. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think you said in your email that you do take them to the babysitting meetings. Mm-hmm. And, and you said something about how they how they view that.
1: In my area, there are two meetings close to me that have babysitting and childcare. And, you know, when I actually, when I started al on and when I moved home, I, I don't, I didn't enjoy face-to-face meetings, but I knew I needed them. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I'm one of these people would go into a meeting and nothing was right with it, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I kept coming back. So the meetings, they enjoyed it. And I think they enjoyed it because, they felt my relief when I came out of the meetings. But also the socializing thing for them. My children the way the disease affects me is I, I do isolate. I mm-hmm. it's hard for me. And so it's so something social for them to do. There are generally other little kids there. And they also get they get to interact with other kids. Um, as my children got older, they met buddies and you know I the fellowship of the, those meetings is really really crucial to me because I can talk to other parents and they get the same thing I get. They can talk to other kids and generally they talk about Minecraft and, you know, sometimes right. I'll, yeah, it's not, it's not usually like as they're not talking about the same things we are, but sometimes, you know, I will hear him ask like, Oh, blah, blah, Blah's parents are divorced too. Or, you know, there's something they can, they're getting out of it. And it really, the fellowship after the meeting is nice too. Uh, it's just nice to be around other families who are affected because young children, like I think back and I had a three-year-old and a newborn and a drunk and like, that was crazy. <laughs> that was oh insane. <laughs> yes. And it's hard to explain to some of my friends and, you know, I put up on Facebook how happy everything is, but then the reality is that I that's what I go home to and it's, or that's what I live in. And it was just it was really hard, and so just having an outlet of people where I don't have to explain and I don't have to you know overcompensate, and I can just be myself, and they can just be themselves, and we speak that recovery language has been really super essential for my healing and and being able to talk to the kids about what's really going on in our family. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you model recovery behavior with them?
1: Yeah, I do. I try to. I try my best. <laughs> a lot of the program for me has been has been this piece of it. You know, keeping it simple is difficult. But when when I hear like in in that pamphlet, so this pamphlet, "How Can I Help My Children?" is something that I get, and I've kept so many copies. I would hide it in my car. I hide it at home. I hide it in my purse. You know, it's just because it's really it's stuff I didn't grow up with, and so I'm learning it. But basically, it, there's a part in it that says you know, it's more important what we do than what we say. And that is true. And I know that to be true. Mm. However, applying <laughs> like it is not as easy when there's so much stress and fear going on. But I do model recovery in a couple different ways. One of the ways is that I I try to remember that my attitude is my attitude and my recovery and what's going on with me and keeping the focus on me is essential. And it's my responsibility. I have a problem where I, I get really angry and it's generally because I'm not taking care of myself. It's usually because I'm worried and I'm, I'm not in the present moment. And so I do yell at my kids a lot and not, not as often as I used to, but it hurts them and it hurts me. I don't want to be a mother who yells at her children. And, And I don't do it as often as I did at the beginning before program, but what happens after the fact is different than what I grew up with. After the fact, I can come back and say, "Listen, you don't deserve to be yelled at. <laughs> that that wasn't kind of me." And in our family, we try to be kind to each other. Something that's important to us. I can say at the same time, I still need you to do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so that's been really helpful to, to me because um, it's hard for me to to admit that I did something wrong. But you know, I want. I want this to be part of our family. You know, I hope I'm being clear (laughs) here. Sorry. I
0: I get it. Uh, (laughs) I've been there, so I get it.
1: Yes. Yeah, you get it. I I also think that like, like you asked before, they don't really ask, they don't ask a ton, but so when I got my, uh, with, with a restraining order, I couldn't talk to my husband, which was a blessing for both of us. I couldn't call him and yell at him and he couldn't, you know, do the crazy making behavior that he did too. So, the first time they saw their dad, after all this stuff had happened with, you know, this really scary stuff, I wrote to their dad and I said, you know, this is what I say to the kids. They may be curious about how you are. And I said, I've always been age appropriately honest and I've been working with the therapist. And I said, the kids know you're working on your health. And, I, and usually what I would say is we're all proud of daddy for taking care of himself and for being as healthy as he can be. He loves you very much. And he looks forward to seeing you. So, cause they would ask how their father is and where, where is daddy and what's going on? And, and when can I see him next? And I I didn't know really the answers to a lot of those questions, but that's how I would answer them. And the way that they, they understood like the whole restraining order and all that crazy stuff was that, that mommy and daddy's first priority is to make sure that they're safe. And we can't do that until we learn how to get along better. And because we love you so much, we just decided to ask other people to help us so we can make sure you guys don't have to see us argue like you used to. And then around the divorce too, the therapist suggested bibliotherapy, which we just went to the library and... Picked out some books and read them about divorce and about addiction. And, and really my son wasn't interested in, in a lot of it. We read this book about getting divorced and it talked about the importance of expressing your feelings and the dinosaur was shoving his feelings down. And, and so his face turned red because he didn't let them out. And, but you know, my son was really literal and he was like, Oh my gosh, is his head going to explode? And, and I just had to explain him no no it's it's just the why you go see your talk doctor and why I see my talk doctor so I do model taking care of myself I do model recovery I use the slogans in my household and they'll use them back at me which is hysterical (laughs) like one time I could sense I was getting really angry and my son he he got in front of me on the stair on the staircase and he said mommy don't forget You're an adult and you have choices. And I thought, I know. And I was like, my inner voice was like, oh my gosh, this poor kid, he thinks he has to take care of you. But the truth is, he got it. Like he was listening to me. And they will listen, I think, for a while. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think they, I think even when they get to the point where they're actively not listening, they're still sort of listening.
1: Mm, Yes. That, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because, Like I've heard it come back to me a decade later Mm. that something that I thought went right past them. No, they actually heard it. They just weren't at the point where they wanted to respond. Mm. I had the anger thing, Mm -hmm. the rage thing, but it didn't come out on my wife because Mm. for me, that wasn't safe. We occasionally would have yelling fights that usually culminated in some door slamming and whatnot. But mostly my anger came out in other directions. And one of the places it came out was on my kids. Hmm. And that was for years before program. So I didn't have any tools Mm -hmm. to deal with that, to make amends. And there's the, I yell at you and then I'm saying, I'm sorry thing that gets real old real quick. <laughs> mhm. And my daughter said to me sometime not too long ago, okay, she's 27 now, okay. So mm-hmm. she said, "You know, when you yelled, I would go in the other room and, you know, curl up. And I would know that you would calm down and I would have my daddy back again." <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. sighs> You know the fact that she can say that to me now, mm. I'm grateful for that. I'm not grateful to hear it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I am. I'm grateful that she can she can say that to me. You said all kinds of good stuff here. Mm. You've got you said a six year old and a three year old. Yes, it's been a while since I've had kids that age. Okay, and just and and I never had kids that were that different in age. Mm. Um, you know, I had two three year olds and two four year olds. Oh yeah. So. I know that the way that I talk to the kids changed with time, mm-hmm. but you have to sort of deal with this with both of them at the same time, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, I assume you get different questions and you, and you say different things. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So I think now my daughter's three and we're really happy to talk about in our family about anything that they want to, that's something fostering that environment. But my daughter now will sometimes just she, they're different children. <laughs> they're different people. And um, she will, which is surprising. I don't know why, but it is. And she will just out of nowhere, she'll say, I miss my daddy. Mm-hmm. And and I take it sort of as an invitation to talk about her feelings. And I keep, again, I ask her to share. I keep the the focus. I don't talk about my husband's recovery. I don't talk about you know what i believe his i don't take his inventory for my children mm-hmm. when she says i miss my daddy and we talk about it i'll say well i know he loves you very much and he's excited to see you and i know that's true i think traditional eleven really helps me with this too because it says that we need to always maintain Personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, and TV, and and guard with special care the anonymity of all AA members. So for me, that means I'm not going to tell you on this podcast my full name and my address. But in my in my own community, in my home, uh, I have the choice to you know talk about my recovery as much as I want to. I need to guard with special care his anonymity, mm-hmm. special care, and that includes it in my family. They have asked me, "Does Daddy go to meetings too?" And um, I'll say, I don't know, that's a, that's a good question for daddy. Yeah. And that's where I leave it. And that's, hu- for me, that's huge progress because, you know, before recovery, I'm sure I would have tried to control the message with them and say, well, I don't know, he needs one or, you know, I, I'm <laughs> right. sure I could have done all kinds of things. But yes. just even acknowledging that, that I now have the ability to make the choice. To keep, To protect my own serenity and to keep our home the way that I would like to have our home, you know? I would like respect among us. And and that has to start with me. So, yeah, they, they do ask different types of questions. And my son is way less interested. And sometimes he'll even say, I just don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I can say, okay.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know? we'll talk about it. Yeah. I got some shares by email mm-hmm. and one voicemail on Wanna sort of intersperse them here, so I'm gonna read what Kate sent. Hi, Spencer. I'm excited to listen to your episode on talking to young children about Alanon. My children are five and three and this is something I'm working on. I'm relatively new to Al-Anon, at least to taking it seriously, but I have already seen so much good working in my life thanks to my higher power, whom I choose to call God, and the skills I am learning. We are blessed that we do not have addiction in our immediate family, but both my husband and I have addiction in our family of origin, and my husband is active in Naranon. We both want to raise kids who are as free as possible from the family disease that affected us, that still affects us. It's so strange, though, because sometimes I think I see the same behaviors in my five-year-old that I see in myself. Nature or nurture, the kids have been affected, and all I can do is work my program and try to be the best mom I can. My husband and I can model healthy, sober thinking, and we can speak to our children, most of the time, I hope, in a way that builds them up and teaches them healthy boundaries and sane thinking. I am far from perfect, but I am intentional in taking time to apologize when I am not as loving as I should be, or rather, when I am not as loving as I want to be. Mm. When I go to meetings, we are clear. Mommy is going to a meeting to help her be the best mommy she can be. I use the slogans frequently with my kids in front of my kids and to my kids. How important is it has been a lifesaver for our sanity because it helps us prioritize the battles with our Hmm. Mm three-year-old. I like the PBS show, Daniel Tiger because it's essentially giving children their own slogans in song, which I think is all the better and tools in order to live happy, peaceful lives. So we incorporate those into the way we talk about life and our family. An example, When you're feeling frustrated, take a step back and ask for help. love that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a perfect parent, and I never will be, but I'm so grateful to the program and for the wisdom I learn from the people in my groups, which helps me to be a more present, compassionate, and encouraging parent for my children. Thank you so much for your podcast. It is truly my meeting between meetings, as I hear other fans say. Your work is so important and deeply appreciated. Kate. Oh, man, there was something in here. About going to meetings to be the best mommy she can be. Uh, I'd like that explanation. You know, it's like, it's not, I'm going to meetings because your dad screwed me up. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm not going to meetings because I'm angry at your mother's drinking.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I'm going to meetings to help me to be a better parent. what, What do you see in there?
1: So I see a lot and I totally identify with Kate. Uh, and I love this share and, and I too appreciate this podcast because it gets me thinking, you know, I would explain that to the kids. Well, I go to be a better, uh, the, uh, the best mommy I can be. And also with my yelling, I'll say it helps me to, to calm down. So I love that. You know, just saying, just, just keeping it short. And then I love Daniel Tiger too. You know, there's one day they, they, there's an episode I saw where, It even helped me. And Daniel Tiger's mom says, when you're sick, rest is best. And I thought, Oh, yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) What a good reminder, Daniel Tiger. So I think like with the, with the 12 steps and living, like living this way of life is, is, it's new for me. Mm -hmm. And it's about and be, for me, a lot of it's about being intentional about turning my will and my life over about, giving my life to my higher power instead of all the lower powers that want my attention you know and and also to be present something which what kate said here is um to be more present compassionate and encouraging parent for my children that's what i want too i think that's what most parents want i think mm-hmm. for me that I, I i just i really wanted to 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 be that, and this program's given me that. I've been able to, you know, my sponsor keeps helping me learn to slow down. We would talk about all this craziness that was going on in my life, and then she'd say, okay, well, what are your plans for the rest of the day? What are you going to do with the kids today? Do you have any crafts that are laying around that you could, you know, and just to keep me present and and remind me they're little for a little while. And um, this is a real gift. It's a gift to me.
0: It's true. Mm-hmm. Model healthy, sober thinking in a way that mm-hmm. builds them up and teaches them healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. I know for me, particularly before I really understood boundaries, maybe that was part of it, was you know, setting boundaries on my children was hard for me. And I think mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever did a whole lot in helping them to set good boundaries. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, it's nice that I have a sponsor who I've be, who my higher, I've been willing to let get to know me and to be around the children because she can point things out to me that I wouldn't be able to see mm. and may, might not be able to hear it from other people. My husband and I can model healthy sober thinking and we can speak to our children in a way that builds them up and teaches them healthy boundaries and sane thinking. Okay. Yeah. There is a part in that pamphlet, the how can I help my children? That is about the fact that children do need.
0: They do need boundaries. Yeah. And yeah. I think I have this, this experience from, from my own situation that mm. when when the disease was active in my family, boundaries got very loose mm. because the focus was on the alcohol. The focus was on The alcoholism and, and that activity and, and just even having energy to try to set boundaries for, for the children was sometimes too much. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's what that brings to my mind that, that when I was able to restore myself, right? To find myself again and to stop being so tied up in, in the alcoholic chaos, then I think I was at a place where I could start to set better boundaries on the kids, but Mm -hmm. I was out of the habit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, It's, it was tough. And by the time that I was really at a place where I was, I was trying to set boundaries, they were in the middle of their teens and Mm. they were not in a place where they wanted to accept boundaries. <laughs> and one of my kids just really pretty much ignored. We would, you know, say we we don't want you to do this or we do want you to do that and they're like whatever. And then they would go do whatever the hell they wanted, you know. We we had this and I, this is hopefully this is not coming for you, but when this kid turned 18, decided they were going to try acid. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a non-addictive drug. See, mm. that was their thinking. So this was the conversation we'd had about, you know, you're at risk for addiction and so on and so forth. And so you need to be really careful if you decide to experiment. And they're like, well, acid's not addictive so I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I freaked. I just mm. freaked. Internally, I freaked because I grew up in the 60s and, and <laughs> acid scared me right okay and we said we said would you consider like not doing drugs while you're living in our house and they said no mm.
2: <laughs>
0: and we did take them to a not exactly an interventionist but i i guess a drug therapist something i don't remember exactly what the guy's title was but you know somebody who specialized in working with kids who might or might have drug issues mm-hmm. to try to Get them get them straight, I don't know, even the language <laughs> there <laughs> bothers me and and you know the kid went, yeah, like they were compliant, mm-hmm. but they weren't cooperative, mm. our dog was like that, he was compliant <laughs> he he knew what we wanted him to do and and if he felt like it, he'd do it,, uh, but he yep. wasn't always cooperative, <laughs> mhm-. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I don't know, yeah, um it's it's tricky, it really is. Yeah. you want to read the the share from Francesca?
1: Sure, I'd love to, okay, so Francesca shares, dear Spencer, thank you so much for your service. I look forward to each episode of your podcast, and I have shared it with many program friends who have sought solutions to not being able to get to meetings as often as they'd like. I received the priceless gift of serenity with each episode. Thank you. I am so grateful for the topic of talking to small children about Al-Anon. I am the parent of a six-year-old and a three-year-old. They know that one night per week, mama goes to her meeting. Sometimes mama even has a meeting after the meeting. When I meet with my sponsor or sponsee and gets home very late, having to go out as my children are finishing dinner and getting ready for bed is in itself a gift. I give my partner the gift of parenting on his own. He is free to make mistakes without feeling my watchful eye judging him. This is something I'm working on. He is free to have special moments with the kids. When my kids ask about the meetings, I think of it like talking about sex. There's no need to get too detailed too soon. I want them to keep coming back for information as it becomes developmentally appropriate. So I keep it simple. I tell them that I go to meetings to talk about my feelings. I listen to my friends talk about their feelings. I talk about what's going on in my life. My friends talk about what's going on in their lives, and I listen to them. So far, that's as deep as the conversation has gone, and I'm okay with that. I'm looking forward to hearing others' perspectives. Thank you again for your work, Spencer. And thanks to to Eric. Whenever I hear his voice, I know I'm in for an episode full of definitions, humor, and plenty of experience, strength, and hope. Best, Francesca. And um, there's a, a poem. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy.
0: Rabindranath Tagore Oh is, boy, is the closest I'm going to get anyway. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Again, a different description of, of meetings and, and, and I love the way she breaks that down into a language Mm -hmm. that I, I feel like a six year old could connect Mm -hmm. with. Yep. Um, I go to meetings to talk about my feelings and I listen to my friends talk about their feelings. Mm -hmm. Is that something that, I don't know, you feel you might share with your kids?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't use the, those words. Maybe because my son is like at this age where everything about like love and feelings is gross. Oh. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it's all so, but I definitely I love what Francesca said about that because I do she is right it's just it's like there's no need to get too detailed too soon. So, you know, there's a lot of times it's like, you know, my daughter will say these, I have used the word tools, you know, I learned tools, how not to get so angry or tools, how to be the best mommy I can be or tools, how to be, you know, this or that. But it is just like a sentence, period, yeah. <laughs> period.
0: Yeah. And, and I like the way that you connect it to something that they recognize, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah, they know you get angry. And mm-hmm. you're saying one of the reasons I go to meetings is to help me learn how to be not so angry. Mm hmm. And I feel like that hopefully connects it to something in their head about that they can understand. Oh, okay. This is how it affects me. Right. Right. Because there's this thing when kids are born, they are the world. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't recognize it, that they're separate from, from anything else. Everything is part of them. And and part of the process of growing up is recognizing what's me and what's not me. Mm -hmm. And for some of us like me, it took me, you know, 45, 50 years to figure out that where that boundary between me and not me is. Okay. I had contracted uh, it quite a bit from the whole world as me, but. Sure.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: something I learned in Alana, right? What's the boundary mm-hmm. between me and not me? hmm Do you just go to meetings where there is childcare or how do you deal with that?
1: No, my parents live in the same town, uh, and so I have a home group on Monday nights, and that's where I found my sponsor. And I prefer a smaller. The meetings with childcare in my area tend to be bigger, yeah. and I, I found those intimidating. And I got, I don't want to go all the way down to that town for for a play date, but <laughs> no, not a good attitude. I'm I'm examining my attitudes, but oh. so I have a home group meeting on on Monday nights. I have to ask my parents for help a lot. I have to ask a lot of people for help a lot, which is not something that comes naturally and is comfortable. I do it because I know I need to. I keep my program at the very top of my list, um, and and my kids know that. There have been nights where they'll say, "Please don't go to your meeting, mommy. I don't want you to leave." Mm. And that's when that's when we can have the conversations about right. meetings. Like, mommy, it's really important for me to take care of myself, and I need to go to meetings because it's good for all of us, but especially for me um, to get healthy. And we use a lot of health terms to to get healthy, to stay healthy, to. Just, right. And they, they they understand it, and they and another thing that I've learned to do, in Alan is allow them and really anybody to have their feelings. You know, yeah. I I hate th- there's something about me that's like, well, I think about I'm just gonna go into the how could I help my children again? It says. Children who grow up in an alcoholic home are usually confused, very often as a result of their parents' inconsistency. Not knowing what to expect from parents at any given time makes a child feel insecure. Children need and want limits on their behavior when parents set limits and strictly enforce them one day then completely disregard them the next the children become confused and may engage in more unacceptable behavior until limits are once again enforced and this is about making amends but it says making amends to our children may mean applying consistent discipline in order to provide them with a sense of security and so for me every monday night i go to this meeting mm-hmm. even if they're sick nana nana can handle it and really what that's done too is help my relationship with my parents. I think one of mm. the biggest miracles of the program is this generational thing where I can see where they've come from. And I see that they love me. They don't. They aren't the warm and fuzzy parents that I want them to be. You know, They're not hugging me. They're not doing everything I say. They're not making me feel good a lot of the time. But what my sponsor helped me see doing my fourth, fourth step was like, Of course they love you. I see how they show up for you. And they've showed up for me in so many big ways. And and one of those ways is, and I love what Francesca said about giving her husband the dignity to parent on his own. You know, I can can give my parents the dignity to to be the grandparents that they want to be. And it's not what I want them to do, but, (laughs) you know, it's their relationship.
0: Yeah. Have you ever taken your kids to a meeting?
1: I tried. One time my parents were out of town on a Monday. And I didn't set up a backup plan. And usually if I know they're going to be out of town, I'll set up a backup plan. But I didn't. It wasn't good because I'm like a procrastinator. So I tend to wait to the last minute. And I had their headphones and I had their snacks and I had their sippy cups. And I had everything planned out. And I got there sort of right as the meeting started. And I didn't want to distract anybody. So I brought them. I put them on these little beanbag chairs. And they immediately started giggling. And I couldn't take it, so I, I left and I was really you know, and, and if I had that to do over again, I would I would do that differently. But um but when I see other kids in meetings, I don't even think twice about it. I'm so thrilled. I'm thrilled to see parents in recovery. I'm thrilled to see parents modeling recovery and showing them that we're worth it. We're worth getting help.
0: Yeah, there was a guy in a meeting I went to for, for some a number of years that Brought his, his daughter, I think starting when she was about six, I, I had a hard time estimating her age because she was small. Yeah. She would sit behind the, the row of chairs or maybe in a chair and she had a, I think early on she had maybe coloring book and later she had a, a, a Game Boy or something and, and she was just there. And nobody really thought much about it, but part of it is that she wasn't disrupting the meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I had some friends who were kind of like, is this appropriate? Mm-hmm. Like, there's some things we talk about here that I wouldn't want my kid that age to hear about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's the only way he can get to a meeting.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I have a a friend who's in allatine and she's in college. And I asked her sort of just knowing that she grew up with both of her parents in recovery. And I said, you know. What was that like for you? And she said she loved it. She said the snacks were good. She had her (laughs) coloring book, you know, she said she would color. And she really thought she thought that she said and she she gave me permission to share this with you that she said what she came away with was that people in recovery were were sort of like a different like a better class of people for her because they took the time to be thoughtful. and, And so it was a positive experience for her. I don't know. It's tough because sometimes when you're here and this is your meeting and I couldn't bring my son to a meeting. For example, he, he's really hyperactive mm. and he, um, you know, and he would be talking a lot and, and I wouldn't feel comfortable, but yeah. so for me, the phone lists were good to have. And I they weighed a thousand pounds and they stayed on my refrigerator, but you know, they're there, they're there for help. And there's Phone meetings and there's your po- your wonderful podcast, which is like a godsend for people, for me. I'll speak for me. It's been a godsend for me when I wasn't able to get out as much as I wanted to.
0: Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say, or I read recently, that there is actually no age limit on Anon. Alatine is aimed specifically at teenagers. Mm-hmm. And and again I've I've run into this where people come to meetings and they bring their kids or I've had teenagers come to an L meeting because they wanted to be in an L meeting and and again I've had some friends who are like, they shouldn't be here. Mm. There is there is no age limit, okay? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there really isn't. Uh, I've got a voicemail here from Rebecca.
2: Hi, Spencer. My name is Roberta. I'm calling from California and thank you so much for the podcast. I love it. I wanted to offer some insight on young children with um, parents and talk about how to bring up recovery to the young children. My youngest daughter was seven when her dad, my ex-husband, was braced by his higher power and did find his recovery. And my suggestion, I was told to check out the Betty Ford Center for kids, their recovery. And I know that's in Rancho Mirage, California, and it's more convenient for me. What they did is they broke it down to very simple terms and they made it a game. It was a four day weekend and two of them I did not I was not with her. And being that I was the only support system in her life, the majority of her young life, I it was very scary to like, okay, you're gonna go with these people and I have five hours to do absolutely what I want so it was it, it was two days of that it was four days and two of them the parents were involved and it was pretty pretty enlightening what I loved is they have these um, the Betty Ford Center has these Beamer books and Beamer like a light beam and, and Beamer's a light bulb and it's like a twelve series books. I'm sure people can find it, but it was very, very, very insightful on in how they described what alcoholism, what addiction is. It was the simplest terms, but it was very, very powerful. And she got it. I think, and I, and I and I referred that to people. But I think if the other spouse, partner, whoever is on that journey of addiction, and you know, we who have found Al-Anon. If, they're, if they are not in sync with, yes, the other partner is, is, an, is an addict of some sort, then I'm not sure where protocol comes. You know, I know people who can't tell their kids, yes, their mom's an alcoholic or their dad's an alcoholic because the other person doesn't know it or doesn't chooses not to admit it. So I wanted to offer that insight. So I, I again, thank you so much for your podcast. I will just day. I won't keep coming back. I'll just stay. Thanks again.
0: Bye. So that brings me to a question. At one point, my wife went into uh, several months residential recovery program rehab. And as part of that, every week there was a friends and family day, which I would drive across the state a couple hours to be there for most of the day. And there was group therapy and there was individual therapy and there was more group therapy <laughs> and there was uh there was also some like uh, uh um, informational presentations lectures i think twice they asked me to bring the kids and they had a a person who worked with the children so the kids went with her and i went into the group therapy and i think at some point uh, my kids remember they're like 11 at this point right yeah at some point, they actually bring the kids into the group so that they can confront their mother with the things that, you know, the things that she did. Right? Because mm-hmm. they had this this there's this uh, I forget what you call it, um, this cognitive behavioral therapy or something where you actually get confronted with the um, the impacts of your actions. Right the kids didn't want to do that. They absolutely didn't want to do that. And I understand from the therapist that my daughter spent most of her time sort of back in the corner behind the beanbag, like covering up with the beanbag. She really didn't want to be there. So my experience with having professionals work with my kids to help them to understand alcoholism and addiction and, and its effect on them wasn't real positive and I think it has more to do with who my kids are. In particular, my daughter was extremely shy as a child. Mm-hmm. I think it has more to do with that sort of thing than it had to do with how good that particular program was. But I'm wondering if you had any similar experience or when their father was in in his rehab program,
1: He went into the rehab program after I had filed for the restraining order. And I mean, my ego would like to say that I found the program. So I was really sort of bummed that I couldn't go to Florida and parade all my, you know, my al So again, I had to look at myself on that one, but no, we didn't make it to the friends and family, um, portion of his recovery program, but, um what, what we did do was we talked about it at home and my son was affected by us. I think because of the amount of arguing that we did mm-hmm. when we were together to the point where when he would hear loud noises, his legs would shake. Mm. And, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing for me to say out loud because, you know, because yeah. it's sad and his legs would shake. And, he was having problems at night. You know, he they would regress. So real things were happening to him. No, they're all real. But I'm saying the physical parts of the disease, you know, how the disease was affecting him was showing. And the therapist, it was hard for me to trust anybody with my children, okay? Mm-hmm. Anything that's mine, it's hard for me to, you know, like take my claws out of. But so, you know, we started slowly. And really, this therapist was, um, they did play therapy. Mm-hmm. And she was she said you know he doesn't really talk about a lot but it was just another place that for him he really liked going there. Mm-hmm. It was just another safe place for him and then uh, it was another safe place for me as a parent to go and and to talk about it and to figure out real tools to help him on his road to recovery. So that was nice and gentle and she was very encouraging. And so with the help of Alan and with the you know the therapists and with the school, I talked to the preschool teachers. And again, my choice, but also respecting my husband uh, and and his anonymity, just sort of at least explaining what's going on at home and and the stuff that the kids have been going through and how it might show up. And just having all those support systems in place for our family really helped because. Now my son, he can hear loud noises and he does. his legs don't shake. Mm. He can talk about when he feels afraid. He has the language. He has recovery language. He has emotional language. You know, this is a nothing that I would have ever envisioned for a family. But I'm really happy and proud to, to be able to help this part of uh, his recovery, too.
0: Yeah. I think what I, one of the things that I'm hearing there is that for you and and I think, for us in a different context, there were times when our kids needed help that we couldn't give them mm-hmm. and in those times, reaching out for professional help is is the thing we needed to do, yeah, when my kid is in a place where there's something wrong and I don't know how to deal with it, whether it's they've got a croopy cough mm-hmm. or they're so shy they can't do normal interaction. You know, it was important for me to 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 get that professional help. Yes. And to get somebody who has the tools mm-hmm. to partly figure out what's what's going on and partly just help them get to a place where it's it's not consuming them anymore.
1: I got that a hundred percent, yeah. It's hard to watch the effects on the ch- the children for me. You know, it's really hard. But I, I'm proud of myself, and I'm proud of my, my willingness to trust in a higher power and, and my willingness to let go of a lot of things that I could ask for help, not just for them, but for me, and to recover as a family.
0: The other thing I heard in Roberta's story— when she dropped the, the kids off. Kid or kids, I don't remember now. And she had five hours to do whatever she wanted with. And <laughs> and I thought, wow, how freeing and how terrifying. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like you connected <laughs> with that too.
1: That was that was the thing that stood out the most for me. I loved Roberta's share that. Thank you. That was so good. But that I did, I totally identified with that. It's like you know, it's such a push pull. One of the things my sponsor always asks, and actually my son's therapist is like, when they do go see their dad, what fun things are you going to do? Mm. Uh, mm. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. And, and, and so it's really the part of the modeling and the working the program at home for me is to accept the invitations to have fun with the children and to let them see mom have fun. Let them see me have fun. That is that is like, what's it all about? For me, I want them to see that joy is important.
0: Okay. Amy sent us a short note. She says, I am writing about your topic of talking to young children about recovery. I work with young children and their families in my work, and I do have some experience to share. Children ask the questions that they want answers to. We as adults have a lifetime of experiences, so we often overanalyze what the child is asking and give them way too much information. When talking to young children, keep it simple. Answer the question that the child is actually asking. In my experience, the child will ask follow-up questions if they need more information. Also, with children, there are usually more than one conversation about most topics. Children will revisit a complicated idea over and over until they understand it. As they get older, they will ask for more information and more details. And that's that's a great piece of professional experience there. Mm-hmm. And I think that has come out in a lot of what you've said and what we've heard from, you know, the other people who shared. Yeah. Any further thoughts?
1: I have so many thoughts about it, so it's hard for me to catch one. So I'm sorry if it's come across all like, oh. I feel like I'm growing up with my children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm learning how to mature through the program. I just want to read just one more excerpt really quickly, if I may. Yeah. This is, again, from that from the How Can I Help My Children pamphlet, which I love.
0: By the way, I am putting a link to the Al-Anon website where you can order a copy if you can't Great. find it in a meeting. Hopefully, your meeting has a copy of it.
1: Yes. Order stacks and just hand them out. But um, that's what I am. Just kidding. Breaking the Vicious Cycle is the, is the excerpt that I'm reading from. And it says, Alcoholism is indeed a family disease. All family members are affected emotionally and sometimes physically. Children learn how to deal with life by watching their parents. Our attitudes towards our partners, our life, and our children are all passed on without us even noticing it. Children of alcoholics often marry alcoholics or become alcoholics themselves. Even with that eventuality, childhood in an alcoholic home is poor preparation for a happy, well-adjusted adulthood. If we want to stop the vicious cycle of unhappiness, we must learn new ways of living and new ways of relating to each other. With the help of Alanon and Alateen for our children, we can hope to make a healthy break in the long chain of the effects of alcoholism as they are passed on from generation to generation. Awesome. Yeah,
0: I did find this reading in How al Works. This is in the second section of the book where they have stories, chapter 25, titled On the Road to Recovery. Yeah. After I had been in the program for a few years, a couple of my children complained to me about the treatment I was giving their youngest brother. They said I was too easy on him and that I was failing to prepare him for the real world and that he was spoiled. This was my first real opportunity to do a ninth step with my children. I said when they were their younger brother's age, they deserved to be treated exactly the same way I was treating him. But at mm. that time, I didn't know how. I think it meant something for them to hear me say that. I know it meant a lot to me. Mm. So I have this, you know, experience of having yelled at my children, having hit my children on occasion mm-hmm. because I just didn't know how to deal with my anger. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to not, I didn't know how to let go of it. I didn't know how mm-hmm. to, you know, and so it came out on them. And I can't go back and make that different for them, right?
1: Right.
0: All I can do and all I could do and all I really tried to do as soon as I understood it, that was to to be a different parent, and that's what this says this this section just speaks to that in me that wow you know you didn't deserve the treatment i gave you mm-hmm. but i didn't know how to do it differently then
1: wow wow <laughs> yes
0: <Yeah. laughs> experience strength and hope
1: absolutely absolutely <sighs>
0: all right any other things you want to share
1: I just had one thing that's sort of nagging in the back of my head. It's, um, for me, when I took my, when I did, you know, a, a fourth step, I realized I have like a, this fundamental belief that I'm a bad person. I, I go to that place sort of as like this way to control the, the chaos, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, and, and so when I don't, when I'm not, perfect at something, which um a human being, so I don't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't plan on being perfect at it. But when I, when I mess up with the kids, especially, or when I parent in a way, or when I lose my cool, I can really t- get take myself to, I can really take out the baseball bat and just do a number on myself. And so I think for me, a lot of this is, is progress, not perfection. You know, my, my kids can see that, I am a human, I'm going to put myself first, but that they're safe, um, and that I'm getting help for us, and that parents have needs, you know, and adults, adults can ask for help and so can they.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Thanks. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. And Megan, you want to introduce the first song that we chose to go with this episode?
1: The first song is a song by the Avid brothers titled When I Drink. I love the Avett brothers. This song is about, you know, someone's experiences with when they drink. Uh, but the lyric I really like says, My parents taught me to learn when I miss, just to your best. It's the only way to keep that last bit of sanity. Maybe I don't have to be good, but I can try to be a little, at least a little better than I've been so far. And that really speaks to that. Progress, not perfection
0: piece. The beginning of the song actually jumped out at me. When I drink I say things I don't want to say, I do things I don't want to do. I talk mean to you. Yeah. And I did that. It wasn't when I drank, it was mm. it was related to, to, to alcoholism, but um I did that, you know. And when mm-hmm. I when I when I'm drunk on anger, I say mm-hmm. things I don't want to say. But then the song goes on to say there is a way forward here. Mm -hmm. There is a way forward.
1: Yeah. And it says, um, we only get so many days and now I have one less. Just do your best. I love this song. Yeah. It's a great song.
0: Yeah. Thanks for picking it. Mm -hmm. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. What's happening in our lives this week. So I was thinking over the week, and, and the thing that sticks out for me about the past week is I was sick. I had some kind of GI thing. I don't know if it was from traveling or something I ate or who knows, doesn't really matter. I stayed home on Saturday and then Sunday I felt better. And then Monday I felt worse and I stayed home from work and then Tuesday I felt better. And then Wednesday I stayed home from work cause I, you know, uh, so all, to, all told, it was like five days. I lost five pounds, which is cool. But the thing, <laughs> yeah, sort of, not you know, the being sick diet is not the best way to lose weight.
1: Um,
0: but it it is effective at times, although it's already coming back because a lot of it was water, I'm sure. Anyway, that is way off where I was going with this. <laughs> uh, but the point of of taking care of myself, of recognizing that I could probably go to work, I could probably be okay. But I don't need to. I can just really take it easy. I can take a nap when I need to take a nap. I can lie down when I'm just not feeling quite there. And if I'm at work, I can't do that. And and so just taking care and not not pushing myself too hard. And it still took five days. Although uh, on Wednesday, I called the doctor and I said, look, okay, this thing's been going on for like four days. Should I come in? and talked to a nurse, and she said, yeah, you should come in, you really should, but, man, everybody is all booked up today, Uh, you should go to an urgent Mm. care, and I'm like, yeah, that's Mm. not happening. And then Thursday, I was fine. So, you know, it just needed its time. Okay, so that was was like the thing that stands out for me of the week, right, being sick and taking care of myself. Maybe not quite as well as I should have, but I did. Uh, But then I thought, also on Friday at work, Um, so I had gone to this manager's retreat for my company in New York the week before. And we talked about a lot of stuff about how to, how to exhibit the organizational values as managers, you know, with the people we work with. Um, and one of the things we talked about was giving and receiving feedback and we watched a Ted talk that was awesome. And then we did a role play where we picked out one of the things about either giving or receiving feedback that we felt we didn't do or didn't do often. And the role play was practice doing that thing with another person. So in my case, I don't don't remember exactly what I picked. Maybe I picked, I don't talk about the specific things that, you know, maybe we're wrong or something or we're right. So I got to practice that with with another person. Um so I brought this back to my team and I don't know if I did a really good job explaining it to them. They were all like really confused. And I <laughs> said just break up into groups of three and just try this thing. Okay. Let's just try this thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they did. I don't know if they actually managed to do the exercise, but what I heard was a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that whether or not we actually got to the point of the thing. And I know that the group of three that I was part of, we didn't get to the point of the thing very well, but we did have a lot of conversation. What I realized both during the, the exercise in, in New York last week, and then doing it with my team this week was the way in which I receive feedback from others, whether it's positive or negative has changed so much. Since I've been in recovery, yeah. that the experience of doing an inventory and making amends and particularly practicing the 10th step of mm-hmm. continuing to take inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitting it, whether it's something that I recognize about myself or something somebody else recognizes about me, it has really changed the way I feel about Getting feedback. I still get that little stomach clench thing when my boss in particular or a coworker says, Hey, um, can we talk? Yeah. <laughs> okay. mm. I am usually able to put myself in a frame of mind where I understand where that this is coming to me as a way for me to do, to be a better me, to do a better job, mm. to work more effectively with the people around me. You know, you get these little aha moments, right? Mm. Where you actually look at something, I get these little, man, second person, wow. I get these (laughs) little aha moments where I I actually pause and look at some aspect of me, of my life and say, wow, that's different. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) Something I thought about when you were you were telling your story in a meeting recently uh, somebody said I've been an adult since I was 4. <laughs> you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I've been an adult since I was 4. Oh, yeah. And I think it was when you were talking about your son mm-hmm. reassuring you about something I forget exactly what what it was you said I'm like uh. That alcoholism can can force our kids to to grow up and mm-hmm. and one of the things that you know I think we're talking about here is helping them to recognize that they don't need to grow mm-hmm. up too quickly
1: right,
0: yeah, yesterday morning, my meeting was was uh, we did first step we had a we had a person who was their first Alanon on meeting and somebody else who was like, I don't know, they're, they'd been going to Al-Anon for like two weeks. And when said, so Oh, no, we're doing a, f- a first step over here. They're like, <laughs> I'm not going to sit at the fourth step table. I'm going to come over to the first step table, but there was, there was a lot of good sharing around that table and, and actually. I moved over to that table and I recognized what was going to happen. It was all women except for me. And then another guy came over and then a lot of people came over and he moved mm-hmm. back because like the table was too big. Right. And, mm-hmm. and one of the women said, Oh, don't go. We need our boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> but it, it, you, it, it is true that, that the balance in most meetings is, A lot of women and uh, actually was talking to a friend who goes to a meeting that I don't, I don't go to. And, and there's a guy in there who keeps looking for a sponsor and nobody is, is stepping Mm -hmm. up to sponsor him. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and of course, I'm going to go save him. I'm not, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) you know, it's not my meeting.
1: Yes. Yes. So
0: how was your week or, you know, recent, recent recovery?
1: My week was very busy, so my home group is Monday. It's the fourth month. At this point in my life, I attend a lot of meetings. I've heard someone uh, call it the al ICU, so I feel like that's what I'm in right now. But my Monday night meeting was about the fourth tradition. Ah. And it's a really nice reminder of, again, choices, about um, the fourth tradition being each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting another group or Al anon or AA as a whole which sounds dry but my, I love the traditions uh, mostly because I don't want to have to focus on myself which is the steps but <laughs> anyway but so the the whole part about that that I really liked was that it sort of is it was a good reminder that there's a, a greater good that, that 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 I'm not that my group isn't the center of if it's going to affect another, if it's going to affect Al-Anon as a whole, that there are kind of safeguards against that. I guess if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've been asking a lot in my meetings, just asking for people to pray for me. And I'm not religious. I grew up with, in a family that had disdain for religion, so that's a, a new thing for me to ask for that. But I had a I had a, a court date on. Tuesday with regards to my head injury, and it was scary. And I hate going to court. And I was able to get through that with very little anxiety and a lot of support. So I did a lot of you know praying and meditating on that. Wednesday's meeting was again. It was a um, uh, it was a step in tradition of the month. So it was a so it was step four and uh, tradition four. I started a new job recently too, so I also was reminded that. No matter where I go, (laughs) I'm going to run into people that I find challenging. So that was something, you know, I'm so, so, feel so fortunate to have the program in my life and to have people to talk to about where I can stumble and not, and not go down the, you know, that slippery slope of that I used to go down before. My Saturday meeting is a really big meeting and there's a beginner's meeting and I heard a newcomer and she, shared basically about you know having to get a restraining order and and it was such an amazing reminder of where I am not anymore Mm -hmm. and it felt like a gift I don't you know I've heard you talk on this show and I've heard it before you know how do we measure our success and it's like not even success how do we measure our recovery and that felt like a really powerful reminder I'm not I don't I'm not there anymore and I came through it and passed the Regular meeting on Saturdays, a, a beginner's vault. So, step one, two, three. And um, the topic was,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the it. meeting, beginner's vault?
1: That's the name of the meeting. Yes, it's really, it's awesome. And it's a huge meeting. I mean, I've been to so many different flavors of Al Anon meetings, and this one is huge. I think this is the biggest one I've been to. So, yeah, so the top, so step one was, the, was what the share was on. I love hearing how people apply the program in their lives it was just a really good reminder that i'm powerless over it that the disease will always win and i can exhaust myself if i want to but as my son said i'm an adult and i have choices yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that finally uh this morning i had one of my meetings and it was on the 12th step of the you know the carrying the message or yeah, yeah. a member shared just this wonderful analogy of the disease of alcoholism it's like charlie brown and it's like that football and Lucy's there. And she said, come on, Charlie Brown, you know, go ahead, kick the football. Come on, this time I won't do it, I promise. And being Charlie Brown and just trying to go back and, and it's the same thing over and over again. And, and um, I love a good analogy. And so that one really stuck with me. And it's reminding me I can do that. I, I can do that very easily. I've been affected by this disease and I, I can very easily convince myself that this time it will be different. And if I just say it a little bit differently, so it was a great reminder because tomorrow I go in for my conciliation for my divorce, and I might be divorced tomorrow. So, you know, I, I really need this—the the, the help of the program. I desperately need it, and I'm I'm so grateful to to it and to to your podcast and to um, all the people who've come before me and will come after me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
0: Upcoming topics, and I've gotten some shares about this one, include violence by the Al-Anon. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Have you been violent in your alcoholic relationship or or maybe you think because of the alcoholism in your life? Please share your experience, strength, and hope with us. You can leave a voicemail or send us an email. And Megan, how can people do that?
1: You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 707 8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at the dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of talking to small children about recovery, or any of our upcoming topics, including violence by the by the Al-Anon. If you have a topic you'd like to, us to talk about, let us know.
0: And our website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information, including notes for each episode and links to the music we talk about, and also uh, links to other things that we mention in the episode. Typically, uh, well, I will be linking to that that pamphlet, how do we help our children? How do mm-hmm. I help my children? Whatever. How,
1: yeah. How can I help them? <laughs>
0: how can I help my children?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just uh, check it out at therecovery.show. And if you can't remember the phone number, or the email, you can go to therecovery.show slash contact. And it's got all the information about how to contribute. I got a little bit of email, but let's talk about a song first. This one is by Martina McBride. It's in my daughter's eyes. I found a description of this online says in my daughter's eyes tells the story of a mother rediscovering what life is all about through her daughter's eyes. While we expect that typically the parent hands down lessons to the child, this song reveals that the child offers life lessons to the parents as well. And I certainly heard that. (laughs) I think we've, we've both experienced that. Yeah. Some lyrics. And when she wraps her hand around my finger, Oh, it puts a smile in my heart. Everything becomes a little clearer. I realize what life is all about. And sometimes our children teach us that just by being our children.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. Can you get a couple of emails? Can you read the one from Amy?
1: Yeah. Amy writes, Hi, Spencer and other guest hosts. First, I want to thank all of you at The Recovery Show. I found the podcast by doing a search for Al-Anon in iTunes, and you came up first. I am so glad that I started listening. Your podcast is a daily part of my recovery. I listen to a podcast every day while I'm driving to work. Your podcast has helped me to really understand Al-Anon and recovery. All of you explored Al-Anon ideas and concepts so well that you often answered questions before I knew I had them. I also learned so much about myself from listening to all of your experience, strength, and hope. I would not be as far in my program without all of you. I love the format. Although I do miss the music breaks in the more recent episodes, I do understand why you stopped. I love how open and honest everyone on the program is, and I love the listener input. There are so many voices and experiences that we can learn from when we really listen to our friends and family in Al-Anon. Keep up the great work. All of the effort and love that you all put into the podcast are appreciated. Keep coming back.
0: Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Yeah, the music thing, it bothers me too. I wish I could put it in there, but uh, I don't want to get sued.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, No. it's not fun.
0: (laughs) Anne asked whether there are transcripts available, and the brief answer to that is no, I'm afraid they aren't. I don't have the time and energy to do it myself and there are transcription services, but they're not cheap. They seem to run about a dollar a minute and up. So if I got a 60 minute episode, that's like 60 bucks worth of transcription. That's my monthly budget right there. Boom. Mm. So yeah. And I tried using uh, automatic transcription from Google Mm -hmm. and it still needs a lot of help it The results are are somewhat humorous at times, and just really confusing at others i'm going to stick a link to uh, a blog post that somebody made about having tried out the service and and what what he ended up with it was it was good. so no unfortunately not. I understand that number one, it would be really nice to have the the text up there so you could search for it, and number two, people who are hearing impaired, it would really be a help to them, but I just can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Judy writes Spencer. This is the best recovery show I've ever listened to. I've been in recovery most of my adult life. My husband is recovering alcoholic for two and a half years and passed away suddenly in November, 2017. Thank God that I have friends in recovery. I'm also a facilitator for National Alliance for the Mentally Ill. Thank you again for helping to make my life better. And I just have to say thank you, Judy, and thank you for for what you do for NAMI also, because that's really important. Mm -hmm. And that was it for email this week, but we had all those wonderful shares earlier, so I don't feel uh, deprived. (laughs)
2: Lots
0: of voices. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Judy, Susan, and Mary did. And thank you again, Judy, Susan, and Mary, for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. And the books you order from Alanon, they get all the money, which is appropriate. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song was the first one I thought of, and I know I've used this song before, but it's just so appropriate. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Teach Your Children. A verse here, Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by, and feed them on your dreams.